Me, 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 but also you. <laughs> the Pharaoh fast-forwards his favorite foreign film. Hip, 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 powder donut. <clears throat> okay, what's my line? Uh, the only line I see here on the script is get options based on your budget with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. Oh, man, that's a tongue twister, huh? I'm sorry, I'm gonna need a few more minutes. <clears throat> bulbous Walrus, the Bulbous Walrus. The Name Your Price tool, only from Progressive. The owl ran afoul of the comatose Coxswain. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey there, it's Rachel Mullins, the host of Hashtag No Filter Fridays on Public House Media. Welcome back to another edition of Caught Listening, the baseball show that goes beyond the white lines. Christian Heimel here with you, broadcasting as we do every single week, part of the Public House Media Network. You can find us on uh, Twitter and Instagram. You can also find us on Facebook. Just search Caught Listening by Public House Media. You can get the show wherever you get your podcasts, Apple, Google Play, of course, Amazon Podcasts now, as well as publichousemedia.org. Uh, as we head into the final weeks of 2020, a- again, it's been a very rough year for a lot of folks, um, and the baseball world has lost some true legends. Uh, Joe Morgan, Lou Brock, uh, Tom Seaver, um, of course, you've had you've had so many others. Um, Charlie Pride most recently, who, to be honest, folks, as a country music fan, I knew Charlie, but I didn't even realize... His his uh, his gravitas in baseball in the Negro Leagues as well, but we're excited to talk about his legacy um, as well as we continue our in memoriam series. Him and we'll be glad to talk about him. Well, he, he's well. Let's 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 start there because I mean, have you on uh, and our, our guest is as another. Every time we have someone on more than once, I like to consider them a friend of the show. So I hope he does the same. Longtime New York Times sports columnist, Mr. George Vesey, is joining us here today, sir. Uh, one of the more recent passings is Charlie Pride, and, and again. Uh, I knew him as a country music fan, but I did not know until after his passing um, his his impact in the world of baseball as well. Well, yeah, I mean, he played in the Negro Leagues, and like a lot of guys, he, he tried to make the switch over. I believe he was in the Los Angeles uh, or California Angels uh, training camp. He, he, he had some tryout in 61. And, and didn't make it or didn't want to, you know, didn't want to work out in the minor leagues. It was majors or nothing. But he certainly had the credentials as a ball player. Tremendous. Yeah, as, as you learn that, and that's one of the wonderful things. Um, you know, I, I hate to say wonderful things about someone's passing, but you do learn so much more about them. and You do really appreciate the life that they led um, after they are gone. Uh, and, and two gentlemen who, um, for New York Yankee fans, they lost this year. They certainly have appreciated quite a bit. That's Don Larson and Whitey Ford. Uh, Don passing away first of the year in 2020, and then Whitey Ford uh, earlier, uh, a little bit later on in the year. But uh, you've you've covered you covered the Yankees for quite some time. Um, Don, obviously, uh, the tremendous perfect game in the World Series. Whitey, known as the chairman of the board, uh, for those two gentlemen who were teammates for a number of years with the Yankees, what kind of legacy did they leave behind in pinstripes? I think their legacy is entirely is entirely separate. I mean, the fact they were teammates for a while. Um, I mean, all Yankees become, you know, they take on the aura or they contribute to the aura. In Larson's case, he did both, and obviously mm-hmm. Whitey did. Uh, and, and it really is a great bond. You know, anybody who was with the Yankees at the same time has been the great franchise anywhere you look at it from, you know, from the 20s, you know, for 100 years. It's been mm-hmm. the great franchise. And I'm not a Yankee fan. But, <laughs> but sure, they were... They were they were certainly bonded by having been teammates, um, and and 
in some in some big years and big World Series together. Don Larson is one of those ones who uh, people look at and they go, he had the perfect game in the World Series, um, and you almost wonder what else would he have had in his career without that. But what kind of pitcher was he? Because I mean, again, he's you look at some of his numbers, and yes, he had a couple of you know twenty uh, twenty lost seasons at one point, but. You throw a perfect game in the World Series, it's not a fluke. <laughs> it's it's not a fluke because you're good enough to do it for nine innings that right. day. Um, but did, did it make his the rest of his career appreciably better? Mm-hmm. Really not. It, it, it pro- you say to yourself, if he on that day was able to do that, um, everything came together, as it has for other pitchers who had that, that one game the, the no hitter, the perfect game, or you know, a lot of strikeouts. And I, mean, I saw a guy named Grover Powell pitch a one nothing shutout for the Mets against the Phillies, and I guess it was sixty two or sixty three for sure. And Casey Stengel was making, but he never did anything else, and he was mm-hmm. gone out of the major leagues within a year, and and all of that. So you you look and say, boy, Grover Powell, he can't miss. He's going to be the Mets' first great young pitcher. But but nothing ever happened with, with if if. Don Larson had done that earlier in a career. You might have had more hope for him, but it, you know, while I, I really can't speak to to being up close to him, I never met him that I that I know about. Uh, I wrote about him only for you know from a distance. But it seems to me that he had the reputation all along as an underachiever. I mean, true, he came up with the awful St. Louis Browns, had a yeah. year in Baltimore, and then was traded in that huge trade between the Baltimore Orioles and the, and the Yankees. Remember, whatever, where, you know, 15, 18 players, whatever it was, back and forth. And he immediately became a 500 pitcher or better, culminating in that perfect game in, in 1956. So clearly he... Could have, would have been better if he'd come up with a better team. Maybe he got into bad habits. From everything I know about him, and this is not, you know, speaking badly of the of the departed, but it sounds like he was somewhat of a of a, a night owl and a character, and and he drank and drove his car late at night and all of that. Um, probably as part of his pattern, and it kept him from being better than he was. He certainly wasn't a, a disciplined athlete. The way so many mediocre players are, they're, they're, they get themselves where they do because they're disciplined. We're talking with George Vesey, longtime New York sports, uh, New York Times sports columnist. Excuse me. Uh, the passing of Don Larson and Whitey Ford in 2020. It's interesting. Uh, I want to bring this up about Don because it, it's kind of a little bit of a sidebar. Uh, but so many players, and, and, and we talk about this, especially in the era in the 40s and in the 50s, whose baseball career was put on hold or maybe even never allowed to jumpstart because of military conflict. Don was one of those ones who was in the minor league system and then went and served in the Korean War for a couple of years. Uh, the 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 difference of what a baseball player was at that time as opposed to now where Guys are finding day jobs. Guys are, you know, obviously the draft era is no more, and, and that wouldn't happen, but just a completely different life that baseball players lived in that time. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I knew players, both basketball and baseball players, in the, you know, the 40s and into the 50s who would, would stop playing to make a better life. I mean, first of all, a more stable life at home, but mm-hmm. also if, if they used their degree and got a teaching job or you know whatever it was, that they they could they could live better from being a ball from being a, a civilian than from being a ball player. And obviously, that changed and, and rapidly. I didn't believe the salaries that were being paid to players. 
I was out of sports for 10 years, and when I left in 70 to when I came back in 80, people would be talking about seven figures, and I'd say, no, I can't be right. You know, it's publicity, but but no, in fact, it had changed. But I, I don't know if any of that had to do with uh, with Larson. I mean, he mm-hmm. was a you know a playboy run around, and uh, that just was his. You know, nobody nobody's denying it. Nobody said you know the guy the guy went home was was in his room at eleven o'clock and right. uh, you know reading a good book. So maybe maybe a lot of his potential was was wasted that way also. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, you can't take away the time that ball players spent in the military. Right. Don, Don Newcomb came up with the Dodgers and almost immediately had to spend two years in the military, came back and was still a great pitcher for years after that. But Nuke did two years in the military. Yep. I mean, Ted Williams, arguably the greatest yeah. hitter, lost two of his best years in his prime as, as, as a fighter exactly. pilot. Exactly. So. And then went back in for Korea. Yeah. Uh, so, so, yeah, I mean, there's, there's no doubt in Williams' case. It's 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 no, really numbers, maybe, maybe he could never have been a better ball player than he was in my opinion. <laughs> but he certainly could have he could have had instead of five hundred and what twenty one home runs. You know you know you you start to add it up. They lost those years. Hundred um, percent. I, I want to get to to Whitey because he's one of these guys who. You know, you don't get a nickname the chairman of the board for no reason. No. Um, you no. know, and it's one thing to put on the pinstripes as a ball player. It's another thing to do it as a New York City native, born and bred, like right. Whitey Ford was. Um, you know, talk about him as as, as a as a player, as as a man, as a, as an ambassador for the New York Yankees. Well, first of all, as a as a kid from Queens myself, a little bit different part of Queens, but nevertheless, I, I like to think that. We in Queens are all point guards and you know quick on our feet, and we all we all we all see out of both you know our corners of our eyes, mm-hmm. know what's going on. Whitey was so street smart, he was so quick that he could handle everything about the business. There was nothing. I mean, did he did he you know did he have a nightlife? Did he did he did he run around with Mickey and and uh, Billy Martin and and, and stuff like that? And, the habits that he might have had, yeah, probably. But nevertheless, this was a guy that knew how to take care of himself in the baseball sense of the word, and he also, nothing phased him. You know, Casey, he could handle. Uh, Casey loved him when Casey w- w- didn't start him a game or, or put him back or didn't use him the way. You know, Whitey, Whitey understood it. He fumed about it, maybe, but he understood that he was part of that team and that Casey was... It was he he could handle anything. He didn't let it get to him. So he was a really cool guy. And the press, there was there was not a ball player in that whole time. Uh, you know, I knew other guys who were really good guys, like Bobby Brown and Tommy Henrik. But mm-hmm. there was nobody like Whitey. For if he'd have a bad game, you'd go to him. You know, you know the reporters would go to him and say, "Hey, I stunk up today." You know, in using more more pungent words than that. Um, you know. I, I was terrible. I didn't have it. I made a mistake. I should have. I shouldn't have thrown that pitch. You know, he he knew that there was no point in sugarcoating when he had a bad day because he certainly had enough of them. But he was not a not a front runner about himself either. He uh, he was just easy to talk to. And I had a particular break, and I think my friend Steve Jacobson, who's really one of my closest friends in the business, when when Steve and I were coming along together in the early '60s, you know, Whitey's point was. Hey, you're a Newsday guy, which is where I worked for like eight years. And his point, and Whitey's point was, hey, uh, come to me, I'll, I'll help you out. I'll help you out. You know, how many ball players say I'll help you out? And 
a couple of times he helped me out, even if I want to talk to Mandel about something, he'd go up to Mandel and say, look, the guy wants to talk to you for 15 minutes. Just sit there. And, and Mandel would come over and be as nice as could be because Whitey had put the, the, the stamp on me, at least for that day. An incredible person, too. And what's amazing is you look at his numbers, even today, and I was reading this earlier, but his career ERA, I believe, um, is is third best still in Major League history. Um, Only Clayton Kershaw and Jacob deGrom are better, which is just incredible for someone who pitched 50 years ago to still be there. Yeah, and and when he pitched, now Casey did... Maybe because of his size, uh, the left-handed thing that he'd keep him out of, uh, you know, a Fenway Park a little bit because of so many right-handed hitters would be in the game that day. But you, you didn't coddle Whitey, and mm-hmm. in those days you didn't coddle any pitcher. It was it was hoped that any starting pitcher could go nine innings that day, and you look at how many pitchers would would go nine and lose the game. You know, they were run or two behind and they'd lose, but it was their game. And that was the way it was played. And for Whitey, not the biggest man, but he was so smart that he could, he could just play in that in that format. Talking with George Vesey, longtime New York Times sports columnist, here about the passing of Yankee legends uh, Don Larson and Whitey Ford. Whitey again, you know, born and raised in New York City, putting on those pinstripes. But then, what I love about the game of baseball, maybe more so than any other sport, is how connected certain legends stay to the team that they were with. I mean, Cal Ripken and his involvement with the Orioles now, um, but Whitey and, and, and the way he hung around, the way he stayed involved with the Yankees over the course of his post-playing career, um, I mean, just a tremendous you know, show of how much he loved not only the sport, but that organization. Well, it's, it pays off. I don't know whether he could have done anything with any other club. I don't think he wanted to. He was a pitching coach for a couple of years toward, uh, toward the end of his career for, for, for uh, I can't remember, for Hauk, for Yogi, for, for Johnny Keene. But it, it was pretty clear, to, I guess, to him and probably to, to me, if I'd ever thought about it that way, that he wasn't really suited. He came from a different time. I don't think he wanted to go through the, the travel. If Mickey wasn't there and Billy wasn't there, um, and the conditions were different. Did, did he want to be an example and a mentor to 10, 12, 15 pitchers coming through that season? I, I, I don't think he did. I mean, life was easier for him to, uh, you know, do what he did, to get endorsements, to appear in uh, Bud Light commercials. Well, you know, all the things he did, life was easier for him, and I, and I don't think he wanted to work hard at being a, a baseball lifer. You mentioned uh, there was at one point, and doing some research before this, you had written an article in 2015 after the passing of Yogi Berra um, that right. called Whitey Ford the greatest living Yankee uh, after Yogi's passing. So I want to ask you now, if you were writing a similar article after the passing of Whitey Ford, who would you put up on that list as the greatest living Yankee? Well, the, the, the way that story came about, that column came about, is that uh, the Times had a great baseball editor, guy named Jay Schreiber. Mm-hmm. Baseball was his, his primary um, uh, responsibility. And Jay called me. I'd already retired, but it was fun that I'd get a call from Jay once in a while. And he'd say, hey, you know all about this more than, more than the young guys we have working today, blah, blah, blah. Who do you think is the, because I think it's 
uh, Whitey Ford. Now that now that Yogi's gone, I think. What do you think? Well, Jane knew better than I did, and I wound up writing that column. I, I remember trying to call Whitey to to get his thoughts on it, and I believe I got to. His, she didn't identify herself, but I'm pretty sure it was Joan Ford. And she said, "Oh, he's not available. He's out to lunch." Well, he may have out to lunch. I don't. I don't know how that was meant in, in the long run because I do know that he was he was not doing well the last mm-hmm. X years of his life. But I didn't talk to him. I would have liked to because he, he was a very modest person. I mean, he, one of yeah. the other things was he really he really didn't need to have people fussing over him. So he might have said, "You know, there's so many people. So what about the guys who play every day? Don Mattingly, Bill, um, you know, Bernie Williams." And he probably would have gotten around to uh, Jeter and to Mariana Rivera. Since Whitey's not here to, to pass the, the baton to somebody else, I'll, I'll think for him and say, I would say that the best, the greatest living Yankee now is Mariana Rivera. And I say that with great respect mm-hmm. for Don Mattingly and for Derek Jeter. Uh, you know, great players, Jeter Hall of Fame, Mattingly probably should be if he hadn't got. certainly would be if he hadn't gotten hurt. Mm-hmm. But... Nevertheless, I, I would say Rivera because he was the best relief pitcher I ever saw, and uh, you know you have to you have to go by the records. He was he was a, a different kind of greatness, to be honest. As someone who grew up rooting for every fiber of Mariano Rivera's cutter to never work in his life, um, I think I would have to uh, I think I'd have to agree with you. Uh, not to mention uh, again, Whitey had a had a record of of consecutive scoreless innings in the World Series, and I believe Mo broke that at one point. So, um, that's certainly, you know, it's, it's an organization that doesn't have, uh, that, that is at a loss for great people to, to, to pass that baton to, but Mo Rivera is certainly, well, certainly it, it, up there. Yeah. They, they had bad years. I mean, the organization mm-hmm. had, had fallen apart. Um, and, and it really wasn't, wasn't doing well until those guys came along. The reason they came along and you know, this story as well as I do, is that uh, Steinbrenner was suspended one year <laughs> yep. for uh, vile, vile behavior and uh, you know, political skullduggery. And while he was gone, he wasn't supposed to have any uh, impact on the team. He wanted to get rid of all these kids and bring in some real stars and stick Michael, Gene Michael, who was the general manager, and had total approval by Major League Baseball. George couldn't call the shots. Stick was a very stubborn, strong-minded guy, and he said, "No, no, these, these are. This is the core of the team. For once, we're gonna. I don't know that he said for once, but let's <laughs> let's keep this core of the team. Those five core four, and then Bernie a, a year or two before, and and they did, and that's why. And of course, you know, George acknowledged that he understood that the team had been really well monitored. That their stewardship of Stick Michael was terrific, mm-hmm. and that's and that's how George looked so smart." It's one of those things that, and and I I can't. We should do a whole nother conversation about that because it's one of the biggest what ifs, in my opinion, in baseball. And that's what if George Steinbrenner hadn't been suspended and he actually traded Derek Jeter like he really really wanted to, and a, and a bunch of those young kids. What would have happened to to not only the core four as individuals, but to that organization, the Yankees? Um, I want to ask you this too because this was a year again. Anytime a legend passes you generally have an opportunity uh for you know the fans to the organization to say a final farewell uh, all the pomp and circumstance at, at a ball game and that didn't happen this year obviously with covid so lord willing and we're back to to relative normalcy in 2021 and fans are allowed to be back at the ballpark what do you think is going to be 
I don't want to say done for, or, or what do you think? How, how will the Yankees remember these two gentlemen and Don Larson and, and Whitey Ford when they can have the fans back in Yankee Stadium? I don't have any doubt that the Yankees, the Yankees are well run. Uh, Cashman and, and uh, you know the people, the business end of it, they'll they'll know how to do it. I leave it totally up to them. The Yankee, it's it's in the DNA of Yankee management and Yankee fans is that the echoes when in the in the real the good old stadium or or this one now which feels like a theme park. Nevertheless, the the echoes, the rumbling, the the I was there for when Babe Ruth. Uh, made a farewell at the end of the 1940s. The first time I was ever in Yankee Stadium, my dad took me up last game of the season, and uh, there Babe Ruth dying, you know, looking mm-hmm. uh, in his in his outsized Yankee uniform, number three, and he was making a talk. That's what the Yankees have that in their blood, you know, dying people, dead people, and, and I don't mean that disrespectfully, but they have had so many stars, some of whom died young, and it never failed. Uh, that they would find the right way, just like the Red Sox have done for for Ted Williams and mm-hmm. and uh, you know making up for some of their sins against not hiring black ball players. Yep. The Red Sox have gotten to let's touch the core, the fundamental core of the fan, and the right thing to do. And, and the Yankees will find a way. So far be it for me to tell them how to do. It. <laughs> well, uh, you bring up something that just popped into my head too. Is you know with with Whitey because uh, I believe seventeen years and I believe all of them with the New York Yankees, and and that doesn't happen obviously in today's free agent world. The the last person, in my opinion, you know who from a retirement standpoint who you know is there. Maybe we get lucky with Mike Trout and he stays with the Angels his entire career. And hopefully for for the sake of baseball, he wins a couple World Series there. But um, Derek Jeter might have been the last player, in my opinion to play his entire career with one team and reach that kind of status that a Whitey Ford maybe had? Um, could be. Uh, you, mean, you mean as a, as a regular player? Well, of course, uh, uh, Mo stayed yeah. with them the whole time also. Um, maybe I'm, I'm not coming up with anybody as an example, but you have to really love the place you are. Um, is, it, is it really worth, how many, how many millions more is it worth? Or do, or do you do it to go for the ring? To, to be in a World Series, to have a better chance at it. Uh, you know, if Ernie Banks could have gone and played somewhere else, he certainly was on good teams that didn't win. Um, I, I think that's up to every individual ball player. 100%. Uh, and, and we really do appreciate your time, George Vesey, longtime New York Times sports columnist, uh, remembering Whitey Ford and Don Larson here on Caught Listening. Sir, we appreciate the time as always. I love talking with you. It's a lot of fun, and I certainly look forward to our next chat, uh, next chat and uh, next discussion. You, you can you can count on me as uh, you know one of one of the crowd, one of the guys. Really appreciate it, sir. Thanks so much. Thanks, man. All right, George Vesey, the New York Times. Uh, I, I can't disagree with him. You know, again, I grew up rooting against the Yankees for so long, and and all due respect to to Mister Baseball, Donnie Mattingly. Um, I, I think the next great Yankee, or you know, is Mo Rivera. Um, you know, <clears throat> greatest at his position of all time and obviously a member of one of the most dominant teams in sports history. Appreciate his time. Appreciate your time in listening to uh, another chapter of our In Memoriam series here in 2020. Uh, We've got plenty, uh, unfortunately, uh, a number of other legends to discuss, to talk about, and we look forward to doing that and remembering the lives and the legacies of these legends of the game. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, review wherever you get your podcasts, Google and Apple Play, and of course, 
Amazon Podcasts, as well as publichousemedia.org. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Just search Caught Listening by Public House Media or email the show, caughtlisteningphm at gmail.com. I'm Christian Heimel. You can find me on Twitter, at Chris Heimel. And until next week, you have been Caught Listening. Good afternoon. Would you like to try a free sample of our double fudge brownie? Oh, sure. Mmm, that's very good. I'll just take one more, just to be sure. Yep, still very good. Some things never change, like never being able to take just one free sample. And Geico saving folks lots of money on their car insurance. Mmm, is that macadamia nut I taste? Let me take one more. Sir, mmm. I thought so. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more.